Welcome everybody to episode 52 of the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. I am sincerely grateful and thankful for every interviewee that has participated and graciously shared their journey. In addition to the podcast, there are the Football United vs Soccer City social media pages, which have been a great source of reminiscing and community interaction. So thank you to the people who continue to send items through and interact on these pages. Ian Serson is our interviewee in episode 52. Born in the early 1960s, Ian has had an expansive football career as a supporter, player and coach over the past six decades. In our extensive interview, it was brilliant to converse with Ian about growing up in the Illawarra as a football supporter and his successful junior and senior football careers. Add in his wide-ranging coaching career, and this episode contains various experiences across several clubs. Due to the length of the interview with Ian, I have split this episode into two parts. My sincere thanks go out to Ian for giving up his time for this interview. It was an absolute pleasure and honour to listen to Ian. Please enjoy part one of episode 52. Well, welcome everybody to the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. I'm here at Judy Masters Oval or Judy Masters Park and I'm here with a very, very special guest in Ian Serson. Ian, welcome to the podcast. Thanks Travis, glad to be here. You were born in 61 um, and, and grew up in the northern suburbs. Um, what are your first memories of soccer? First memories, um, of, I went in a junior yep. and um, actually went down, my parents took me down to sign up the first year. I think I was six <laughs> and uh, I, didn't, I didn't enjoy it so um, we went back home and then I come down the next year and um, and played uh, under sevens, and then they they stuck me in goals. <laughs> so for every reason I, I don't know. So for that first year of, of football, um, I played in goals, um, and then uh, after that, well, I played outfield. But um, my mum and dad were both life members of. Um, uh, Winona Football Club, Winona Soccer Club. Yeah. And um, Mum virtually ran the canteen, and uh, Dad, um, he was the he was the groundsman. So it was always an early start for us. So probably, um, yeah, by seven thirty, I had my boots on, ready to go. <laughs> and um, I can nearly guarantee every Saturday, um, before matches, um, Mum made me porridge. <laughs> so uh, that was. Uh, what happened in the mornings and to get to the ground we had to walk down because uh, dad never had ever had a license and yep. uh, my mum didn't get her license till late in life um, so we used to always uh, walk down to Ocean Park uh, get started that way virtually and uh, I guess that's was going to be my question but it's probably answered by yourself there that um, initially you were possibly reluctant to play football but because of your parents' involvement, they encouraged you to then, well, we're down here anyway, um, and that's why you then came down with them. Yeah, and that's right. And also um, my brother played um, with Winona Juniors too, and he's a few years older than me, so um, sort of followed in his uh, footsteps. And um, 
um, from an early age, I just loved the game. We used to have these match balls that um, um, a man used to polish up. Oh, okay. And um, Dave Potter was his name. Okay. And he'd deliver the balls down to down to the ground and into the clubhouse. And <laughs> because I was one of the first down there, I went and picked out the best ball for my team. Because they had an, a ball set out for each... Um, each team that played down there at home games, and uh, I'd select the best ball for our, for our team. So, <laughs> yes, that was pretty good. And and for the benefit of the listeners um, uh, outside of Wanuna and, and outside of the Illawarra, um, do you want to name your, your mum and dad? Because, like you said, the life members at the club and, and the work that they did, what were their first names? Uh, Ruth was my mother, yep. and um, my dad was Harry. So, um, yeah, spent... A lifetime virtually down there and well into winning the seniors. Um, yep. You know, virtually a, a Saturday was, like I said, up early, walk down to the Ocean Park, um, and then we probably wouldn't get home till five, half past five by the time <laughs> uh, everything was wound up, the nets were nets were down and, and things like that. So it was a, a fairly full-on day, um, Saturdays in, in football season. Playing at Winuna um, in those uh, years there, like you said, it was late seventies, uh, late sixties. Sorry, that you were you were playing at, at the club. Um, do you recall um, fellow teammates or, or coaches in those initial years at the junior club? First of all, the formation we played it was quite funny. Now thinking back, um, the way the system is played now, because we had we had fullbacks and a centre half. Um, they were virtually number two, three, and five. Yep. And then we had four and six were called halfbacks, and uh, eight and ten were called inside right and inside left. Yep. And then up front, what well, we had the eleven was a left winger, seven was a right winger, and nine was your centre forward. So it's a it's a funny uh, system that we sort of played in those days. But um, yeah, we we're pretty successful in um, in my age group. You know. For about five years, I think we only lost two games, but um, yeah, some of the, it's hard not to mention everyone because we're yeah. so we're so young, and um, you know, there was guys like uh, like Kevin Lewis that had come come out from Wales in, in a couple of later years there, and Robbie Duraldi, uh, Sean Organ, James Hobbs, Glenn Trigg, David Graham. Um, we're all good players, and so within you know, the Illawarra, some some household names there. Yeah, that have some of these, quite these guys went on to to play at a high level, and um, yeah, uh, and Jock Young was our coach, and Brian Hobbs was our manager. Yeah, you know, and virtually we sort of kept the same team for close to five years. I don't know whether it was just a, a good batch of players, players come through at that that stage, um, because there was a lot of strong clubs, other clubs around uh, that era, you know. Um, they were really competitive and had good players. So, and and those some of those friendships are, are still there today with yeah. yourself and those teammates. Yeah, went went to school with a lot of the boys, and um, uh, that was our thing. Sort of straight after straight after school, we'd wander down, go past the dump, which was yeah. the, the dump was down there at Ocean Park, and <laughs> and uh, we'd just arrived to training, and um, but uh, yeah, still see some of the boys around, and um, and uh, get to chat to them. And uh, running alongside playing on the weekends, um, you were also um, uh, playing at school. Um, was that Winuna Public School that you were playing at? Um, yeah, Winuna Public. Yeah, school school football. So yeah. that was um, virtually probably under 11s or 12s or something like that. It was back in those days before high school. And and when was it 
into your junior career that you then started being um, selected in, in these representative teams? Was it one or two years and sort of that under 10s or 11s? Or I, I, th I think um, even at an earlier age, we actually played, uh, I think it was even under eights, we played wow. champion to champions. <laughs> and they'd select, like, the best team from down here would play a Sydney team and, and it was like a knockout yeah. situation. Um, I haven't got any... Um, results on some of those, but I think we fared fairly well um, in those Champions of Champions games. But in regards to the uh, Illawarra representation? Um, well, I don't know how the selection panel, like, uh, that we played for our club side on the, on, on the Saturday, and then yep. on, the, on the Sunday we played uh, for the Illawarra uh, representatives teams. Um, so I don't know how selection come about. I don't know whether uh, clubs would nominate players forward and we'd have a, a like have a, a game, possible versus probables or yep. something like that um, to get the team selected. Because um, memories of, um, I think it might have been 72 or something like that, under 10s. Yep. Um, you know, we had um, an ex-policeman, John Ireland. Okay. Um, that used to be, I think his home club was Tarawana. Yep. Um, but there was a, a range of players from all over Illawarra. Um, and that team versus the under 10s, didn't change much at all for a few years. So whether they just kept on picking us and because the, the team successful. was quite successful, yeah. And and who were some of the other teammates in that Illawarra lineup that you played on Sundays with? Um, well, those guys that, that sort of went on and played pretty high here um, was um, Mark Sweeney and yep. um, uh, Murray Brown. Yeah. Um, and, and then... We had well, actually Kevin Code was our um, our manager in the day. Mark Smith. I'm just trying to think some of the. I'm tr trying to picture the. Stephen Potter was our goalkeeper. Glenn Trigg, Sean Organ, myself were from Winuna. Um, I think we had Greg Crow from Berkeley. So it was Peter Wilson was our so goalkeeper. It was a good mix of yeah, he was from Warilla and Greg Crow was from uh, Berkeley. Uh, we had a couple of Unidera players, uh, Ronnie Grogan. And for yourself, like you said, um, your mum and dad are involved early on, initially reluctant, but then, you know, you took to it and had that passion for the game. So for you, was it a bonus that you could play Saturdays and Sundays then? Yeah, well, it got me out of uh, Sunday school anyway, so <laughs> that was part of the, the routine when I was younger, um, play Saturdays and Sunday school Sundays. And, uh, so then football virtually took over all weekend then, and, um, yeah, I... Back in those days, you'd probably want to play every day of the week if you could. <laughs> it was just good playing with your mates and that. And for you, uh, at Winuna and in that Illawarra team, were you, um, like you said, in the first year at Winuna, you're in goals, but after that you're in the outfield. Were you in that sort of midfield role even back then as a junior at Winuna and in the Illawarra teams? Yeah, it's probably, um, probably like I said, in those days... Um, Probably inside left. Yeah, um, I was usually like you call that midfield now. Yeah, um, and yeah, that's firstly where I played all my juniors, um, even up to even up to senior ranks. Really, just played in the midfield. So, and is out of those sort of Winuna and, and Illawarra days, is there any sort of games that still stick in the memory, um, or incidents that occurred that still come to mind? Um. I remember our coach, John Ireland, like when we went to Sydney every second week to play, yeah. he had a big station wagon. I think it might have been a Ford station wagon or something like that. And we'd fit about eight players in there. You know? <laughs> I remember at times we were 
we were actually in the boot part and it was probably, <laughs> in those days, there wasn't restrictions on um, how many numbers or seatbelts and that in All those that cars sort of in those days. So there'd probably be about four or five of us sitting in the back there and then a couple in the back seats and, <laughs> and whatever. Some memories there going to, going to Sydney and, um, yeah, it was just... Um, it was sort of good getting, you know, getting away and and visiting Sydney and these some other places that you know we had to go out into the countryside and and play. <laughs> and you know, I remember going. I think one of the Illawarra teams went to uh, Cootamundra, and um, it, it was just snow and ice on the ground. We'd never seen that, you know, sort of thing. <laughs> but, like you said, um, and, and one of the um, out of some of the archive of yours that you you kindly let me uh, copy and scan. Um, there was. Um, a country championship um, emblem that was potentially on a jacket or a blazer yep. or to be put on one of those. Um, so the team was successful. So during, I guess, a, a sort of league comp during the year, you'd play against Sydney teams, but then yep. there'd be a country or, or a state championship and you'd play the country teams, hence going yeah, to Cootamundra yeah. and yeah, different places. Yeah, we represented Ill- Illawarra in those, in those days, going to Sydney and going to the country areas and... Um, it was um, yeah, it was good times. And do you think for yourself, did your did your dad play the game, or were you just um, you sort of practiced with your older brother, or, or do you think you just had those set of skills, or you developed them, or um, a bit of both? I don't know. I, I I remember sort of kicking the ball against the the, the garage wall a fair bit, yep. and um, you know spending time like that. But um, even um, my my dad never played football. Yep. Um, he he actually played rugby league okay. um, in in Queensland before he come down here. So, and um, but probably followed my brother around a fair bit. Yep. Um, even at sort of like me early early teens, um, I'd be able to go. My brother would take me over with his mates, and we'd play just over the back of Balls Paddock. There we'd, we'd <laughs> um, they they'd play every Sunday, and they get a bunch of guys just coming down. And in, in those Scratch days, it wasn't yeah there was. They they just meet up on a Sunday and have a kick around and my brother actually let me come along to the few of those games where you know playing against guys six years seven years older than yourself sort of so thing. you got to sort of uh, develop that sort of body work and technique and physicality yeah. and develop that at an earlier age yeah like I said I think it was just a a good generation yep. um, of footballers coming through I, I don't think we did uh, a lot of special things at training and things like that not lot what we we do, do now, you know, yeah. with ball work and stuff like that. Um, we just said we had um, good players in those days, very passionate um, mums and dads <laughs> that used to run up and down the sideline. And <laughs> The school soccer, um, before we uh, talk about um, uh, you being a spectator when you were growing up, um, you did uh, in 73, uh, I guess before that, you made PWSA teams, um, in the Illawarra, Illawarra school yeah. representative teams, um, and then you did uh, get selected to then go to a tour in Queensland in '73. So, um, how did you find that? Yeah, um, I think there was five of five of us from down here that got selected to uh, play for New South Wales in a yeah. in a series. Um, there was um, Graham McCracken; he was from Balgownie, and yep. um, there was Sean Organ, myself. Uh, there was Phil Brown. From uh, Fig Tree and Peter Wilson was the goalkeeper from from Marilla and um, yeah, so we got selected. I think um, by memory, 
um, I'm not sure how many of us, but we got selected for the Federation in New South Wales. Yep. Which was like you had schoolboys and then you had the Federation. And um, we, there was a couple of us got picked in that side also. Wow. So we had to make a decision. And, and um, well, I thought I'd go to Queensland was a better trip away than Newcastle. <laughs> so um, we decided to go with the schoolboys to, uh, to Queensland and play at Perry Park. And, and how did you find that? Because um, I think uh, I scanned that little sort of program that you had and you had another pennant as well. So, yeah. And you, you, you got a few different badges from it. So it must have been exciting as sort yeah. of that sort of early teen years to be then an older type primary school boy to be then travelling with some mates that you played with and then go to Queensland. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, uh, it, it was good. And... You know, we're in a, in a mixed with the the other kids from South Australia and Queensland, yeah. and we swapped badges and things like that, which was a, the go in those days. Um, but I, I can remember I scored a goal. I think it was against Queensland. We drew one all, and I scored a goal. Can't remember the goal, but <laughs> it was just written somewhere <laughs> that that I had scored. So um, yeah, and I think out of that team, there was only. Um, uh, like Peter Wilson from down here, the goalkeeper, yep. he was a, a great talent, and he went on to play with um, Sydney Olympic. Yep. And the the other the, the other player that comes to mind in that in our team was a guy called Peter Rapscopoulos. Yeah. Um, he was he played a lot of NSL, um, and then he was sort of tied with Marconi and other and other clubs. But he, he was more or less our um, our captain in that in that team, and he was uh, sort of go to man in the middle of the park and. Big cruncher, big boy, you know. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, they were, they were exciting times. And um, I remember uh, my mum come up to Queensland, and because yep. mum and dad were originally from Queensland, so, so had a lot of relatives up there. Back. So yeah, so um, yeah. We talk about, um, like you said, you're, you're playing for Winuna, you're playing school representative or school football, and then representative school football, and then on Sundays, uh, Illawarra representative football. Um, a lot going on, but there are times there in the weekend that you're a spectator as well. So um, talk about sort of you in the late 60s, early 70s and, and what you and your friends did when you went to watch games, like who you watched and, and what you can recall. Yeah, well, um, growing up virtually across the highway from Balls Paddock <laughs> in, uh, in Hopetown Street there where the old Vista Theatre used to be on the corner, yeah. I was only about four houses up from there, so... Um, I used to go over and watch South Coast United train most of the time and uh, I'd be just standing behind the goals and I'd be the ball boy and just collecting all the balls and booting them back on the park and, <laughs> and that. But, um, yeah, and match days, because we live so close, we'd, uh, I'd go over me my brother and my father and, yep. and, uh, and and watch them and, you know, great crowds in those days. And um, then sort of like after the game, we'd walk home and we'd go past the... The Winuna Bulleye Soccer and Sports Club, and yep. and Dad used to say, "Oh, I'm just going over here for a couple of beers, and I'll be <laughs> home," sort of thing. And we'd walk up to home, we'd look across, and the it was just standing room only in in the club at those times. <laughs> you know, there's that many people and supporters, and but uh, yeah, they were they were good times. And um, and then Safeway United um, come became, along, became what yeah, South Coast United after were that, yeah. yeah. And, and for yourself, um, did you, when you're watching those guys or even opposition teams, um, did you have a hero or a couple of favourite players that you would sort of yeah, gravitate um, towards? There was, there was a striker there. He was only only short, and his name was Brian Tristam. Yep. And um, he, he was a very good player. 
Um, but probably being a left footer myself, the guy I looked up to was uh, Drew Dunlop. Yeah. And um, he had a fantastic... And only I mentioned it to um, to Jerry Walker a few months ago, that, uh, and he keeps in contact with Drew. Yeah. And it was quite funny. And um, I said to Jerry, I said, to me, he had one of the hardest shots in football because I was standing up the back up near the pub collecting the bloody balls, <laughs> you know. And... Um, but he, yeah, he had a, he had a fantastic left left, um, left foot on him. So I probably looked at him more because yep. there wasn't a lot of left footers around, I suppose. Yeah, not as predominant as they are today, or no. as evenly spread. And and you're saying there um, previously when we had our other discussions before the interview about um, going to the games afterwards and then looking for for money and and whatnot. <laughs> Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, well, a couple of funny stories. It just. Um, after after the like they'd play on a Sunday or something like that, and if if uh, I'd go over there after school or something like that, and people would go to the canteen and, and they were queued up to go into the canteen, and then they'd stand there, and then if they dropped any money, it hit them on the shoe, <laughs> and it'd roll under the canteen. So that's the first thing I used to do was go over there and look under the canteen for <laughs> ten cents, twenty cent pieces, or whatever was <laughs> rolling about rolling around in those days. So because they, they had two canteens, they had one up near the near the dressing sheds, and then they had another one down where Dwyer's used to be. Yeah. Um, and then also at the back of the uh, back of the fields, the yep. northern side there was all it was just all bush. And yep. um, sometimes I'd go over there and find brand new balls or balls that they played with that they couldn't find out, couldn't find <laughs> in the dark, and that. So just wow. living so close to Balls yeah. Paddock was good. You know, some of the some of the teams that come out and um, and, and played there was great. You know. Um, they were getting crowds up to four or five thousand people. And, and what were you thinking as a as a younger kid the, to be part of that sort of crowd and and whatnot? Because it's as I've spoken to several people now, it was quite a unique experience. Um, yeah. The ground itself and the way it was set up. So, um, what was it like being in there when you know your Panhellenics and your Eagles come and play? Um, yeah. It must have been. How did you feel in terms of the atmosphere? Uh, well, those. Uh those clubs that, that come down there, they are very competitive and passionate supporters, um, like they probably are today under different names, you know. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think someone mentioned this before about the guy selling soccer worlds, and he used to go <laughs> soccer worlds, and they they they'd be a, like a green paper that come yeah. out, and there's a guy selling peanuts, you know, peanuts, <laughs> cashews in the shell, you know, things like that. And um, but yeah, there was there wasn't a lot of seating. There was only probably. Yeah couple of rows of seats around the ground and then the majority stood and the hill and then the old school board in the corner. Um, yeah. Um, memories of, like, the, the dressing sheds and the referee's shed was in the middle. The visitors were on one side. The home side would come down through a, a fenced-off yep. fenced um, um, tunnel sort of thing, <laughs> you know, because um, there was a lot of games sort of got heated and spectators <laughs> didn't like losing and things like that, so... It must have been, like you said, so handy and, and fantastic that you could do so much in terms of going to training after the games, looking for balls or, or drop coins and then going to the games pretty quickly and then getting home. There was um, part of that sort of uh, 60s and 70s football in the Illawarra as well was, um, wasn't as commercialised and I guess some of the bigger teams and because Newcastle, the Illawarra, stronger areas in New South Wales for, for football. Um, we still got some big touring teams to come. 
Um, do you, you said um, when we were talking about uh, doing the interview about some of the bigger teams that came down, uh, Middlesbrough, for example, and you talked about going to, to watch Santos play as well. Can you speak a bit more about those, those games? Yeah, well, um, the, the, local, the local games at Balls Paddock, there was Chelsea come out. Yep. Um, there was Middlesbrough, and um, I actually, I'm not sure what representative side it was, but um, might have been the Balgani representative yeah, side. Yeah, that um, was 75. Yeah, we played before Middlesbrough, and um, someone actually even posted the... Um, um, the program, the program out that had had the names of the, the players that were playing sort of before the then yeah. they had the Middlesbrough um, Middlesbrough line line up and that um, and there was that one of those badges I had were Atachi I think you pronounce yes. it yes um, I was ball boy for for one of those games and that's probably how I got that little badge because <laughs> um, they were throwing them out into the crowd and obviously one didn't make the fence so being ball boy I, I, picked, I picked it up, it up yeah but. Um, Going back to the, the Santos game, it was another representative side. We played up there at the sports ground before yeah. Santos and uh, obviously Pelé playing. And, um, uh, yeah, was, uh, like we, sh- we actually had the dressing shed before Australia were in our shed after we got out. Obviously, oh, wow. we got out a lot quicker, but <laughs> it was a nice sort of Good feeling. opening to, to look around and, and see that some of the players were sort of walking in there, you know, back in those days, you know. Especially guys like Peter Wilson and Max Tolson and some of the players that, yeah, you know, that come from down this You'd area. You see locally. Yeah, it must have been a, a big thrill, like you said, in, in that sort of seventy-five, seventy-six. Uh, uh, Balgani had um, uh, sort of merged with um, Safeway um, to become Balgani before they changed to Wollongong City, but they had junior representative teams. Yeah, and and you were a part of that, and and. And so it must have been a great feeling to be, like you said, playing before one of the big games where Middlesbrough brought out, yeah. you know, they were quality players. And at the time, first division football in, in England was huge. So it must have been a, yeah. a huge feeling in the lead up to, to getting onto the ground and, and, and playing there. Yeah, it was, it was a, I think um, looking at one of the programs there, I think there was about 26,000 people uh, there at the sports ground in, the, in that in those Santos days. Santos game, yeah. Yeah, but um, yeah, I'm just trying to think of some of the players that, that we had. I in that um, in that in that Balgani side, uh, Alan Thompson was our was the coach. Was the coach, and you know he went on to play. I think he even played for Safeway, and um, he was a very good left fullback. But most of the players out of that team went on to um, went on to bigger things, and especially someone like Paul Kay. Um, you know, and Robbie Geraldi and Dee Gardner played high league, and Jock Melando. Um, we had David Wilson, Murray Brown, Mark Sweeney, um, yeah, Peter yeah. Wilson, Daryl Burley played first grade with Burley, uh, Serson, Brown. I'm I'm getting it up here on the phone. Yeah. Kay, Geraldi, Wilson, Downs, Hobbs, yeah, uh, Melando, um, two Wilsons, Kissel from Helensburg, yeah. Fuller, yeah, um, yeah. It was a strong. It was a strong team in those days, and like I said, a lot of those players have gone on to um, higher achievements. Well, like you said, it was a, a seven fifteen kickoff for you guys, and then and then um, just after eight o'clock, uh, Balgani then took on Middlesbrough. Yeah, for you, um, you're coming out of that um, junior period of, of of football where where you're uh, playing with the the Balgani. Federation team there yep. as a as a representative, um, 
It was a strange one um, for me, uh, I guess. Um, someone like yourself, um, um, who I've known over the years, is always very helpful, and, and you gave uh, uh, all, all your archive to me. But in particular, um, what you then passed on to me was um, a letter in uh, 1976 from Queen's Park Rangers and, and uh, written by um, a pretty famous name in English football in Dave Sexton. Do you want to talk to a bit about, to the listener and myself, about... Um, sort of how that letter came about and, and sort of, uh, I guess, a sliding doors moment? When, I, well, when, when the letter was first sent out, um, um, it was a, a talent scout or a scout from, from down this area, so I don't know, he had ties with, um, with Dave Sexton at Queen's uh, Park Rangers. Yeah. Yeah. I can't even remember whether QPR were in the top, top flight. Yeah, I think they I were think at they that time. They would have been around that time. Yeah, they were. Yeah, and... And, and so, obviously, um, I've been sent this letter and um, my parents never showed me the letter probably till about two years after that. Um, probably, mainly probably back in those days, I'm not sure what year Craig Johnson actually went over and, and what he went through. So, um, as it stated in the letter, they were willing to take me on a trial. Yeah. But if, um, if I wasn't successful... Um, accommodation, airfares, all had to be paid by paid, you or paid your by parents. my parents, and um, and also probably mum looked at it. I was a very fussy eater back in those days. <laughs> I still am, and uh, mother, mum was probably worried about what I was going to eat or how I was going to sort of survive over yep. there. You know, um, like I said, it was pretty unheard of in those days. I think Craig Johnson was sort of broke the ice there, and, um, and players go overseas all the time now. Um, but back in those days, yeah, I sort of, um, I'm not sure, but I was probably around about 16 or 17, maybe, when I got the letter. I can't remember now. But then yeah, it said um, November 76, so you would have been 15 and then sort of 15 and a half when that letter was yeah. sort of written so I might and given not have, to your parents. Yeah, sorry, uh, Travis. I might not have got that till I was probably around 17, yeah. I'm not sure, but, um, yeah, and Craig Johnson's book that he brought out called Walk Alone, um, I've read that a few times. It's a fantastic um, book and yeah. experience that for any young young kids that um, they want to see what he went through <laughs> to, to make it in, in a professional level. You know, he didn't have a lot of ability, but he had a, he had a big heart. Tenacity, and, and, yeah. Um, yeah, he, he, wor- he worked his socks off all the time. Um, but just to get selected and get told by people, hi, High up people like Bobby Charlton and that, yeah. that, yeah, you're not good enough. Go back to Australia, sort of thing, you know. And he stood out, and he just sort of, he said, and in one sentence there, he said like he'd stay back after training and kick the ball against the wall, the and extras. all the other lads would go for lagers. And <laughs> <laughs> but for, I guess for you, um, it's sort of, I guess, bittersweet, maybe, um, uh, maybe a what if, but really, your parents had to, I guess, think of their own situation and the family situation and then think of you and, and think of, you know, a, a boy of 15 and a half potentially going to a, a brand-new country all mm. alone and, and, and the cost that may come with it and then I guess the anxiety of not knowing if you're, if you're OK or, or whatnot. So it must be hard to, when you got told yeah. um, a couple of years later that disappointed that what might have been but then realising, well... It could have been a, a hard slog over there. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I, th- I think at the end of the day, I, w- I wasn't that sort of worried about it. So I, I don't know ability-wise whether I, I could have made it over there. You yeah. know, um, 
I was a skinny little runt back in those <laughs> days and and that. But um, yeah, it sort of I, I didn't hold it against my parents because of yeah. financial strain and things like that. It could have happened. And like I said, maybe my parents were more worried about sending a 15 year old over there. And yeah. like you said, in, in a in a strange Personal country. Personal safety. And, um, yeah. So. And um, was it just a bit of a weird one when it did come two years later that, what do you mean, there was a letter yeah, back I can't, in 76? Can't remember, yeah, I can't remember much about it, but um, I remember um, showing me the letter and explaining sort of, you know, why, the why not sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, probably at that age, I'd already left, I think I left school about 16, so I was sort of in the, in the workforce, workforce then and... Um, um, There's a few other things so to consider. A few other things, yeah. In 77, um, like uh, I've said on previous podcasts and in this one, you know, it sort of South Coast United went to Safeway and then Safeway um, merged with Bowgowney and it was Bowgowney for a year and then Bowgowney changed to Wollongong City for a couple of years. And then uh, in 77, um, you joined the, the third grade team. Um, uh, was that just a progression of that sort of? Federation football and representative football that you then went into that youth grade team? Yeah, I think the majority of the, the players that we went into that youth grade team was um, the players that would play with Belgowney, so it was just a progression up yep. there. And um, and and then, yeah, we, we, we were in third grade. I'm not sure the, um, whether it was an age group, like it was under 20s or under... Yep. I'm not sure. It was called third grade back in those days. So, yeah. Yeah, a lot of us we were only young, and um, we were playing out against sort of, especially some Bigger of the Sydney guys. teams. Some of the, we'd we'd have a lot more skill than them, but um, the size um, sort of knocked us around a little bit, I think. But we um, a guy called Herbie Williams was um, the, head the, the head coach there, and I remember one saying he used to come out and he used to say, uh, he used to say, "Hello, lad. okay, lads." He said. Go out there, have a thousand kicks, and come off. And that's, that's what he used to say. But um, yeah, he had first grade. Alan Thompson still um, coached us in the in the third grade because he was playing first grade in those time in those years. Um, the home ground was actually Berkeley. Okay. Berkeley was our home ground that um, first year there, Wollongong City. So um, yeah, we sort of either we got cars up or if it was a, the way games were further, we'd we'd get a bus. Or something like that, you know. Um, but um, yeah, majority of those players that come up through and, and did play third grade um, were players that were stuck that together for that. Team. Yeah, like I said, there was a lot of um, name players and that that you know were quite successful. Um, that went on to better things, especially Paul Kay. Yeah, um, definitely. You know? he, he had a, a superb career. Few um, Alan Thompson. Um, obviously, you had him there for for a couple of years as a coach, and and obviously, he did uh, very good things as a player and then as a coach himself um, elsewhere after this. So, how did you find him? Was it more just that he was a senior player, um, coaching and helping out the club, or do you think he even had a coaching bent back then? Um, no, I think um, just being a, a first grade player, because in a way. Um, Tomo was um he wasn't that much older than us. He might have been say six, seven years older than older than us, yeah. the, the players that he was coaching. Uh, I think being a first grade uh, a first grade player and I'm not sure how it came about when he f- originally took on that Balcani's team. Um but uh, one, one thing I do remember he used to drive a, a Datsun one eighty B, a little brown <laughs> one, and he used to go out with the girl 
that her parents owned guest cake shops. So <laughs> we'd have to, there was probably three or four of us who'd go up with him and we'd meet him at Ferry Meadow outside the cake shop and he'd come out to the car and we'd have all these cakes, oh, eating all these cakes on the way to, on the way to Sydney. <laughs> but, um, well, anyone in the Illawarra, um, and it's on the Lost Wollongong Facebook page, whenever there's a um, meat pies, um, guests always gets a great run and at least at least 50 comments. So people in the Illawarra, if you know, you know. Um, so that's fascinating. Shops, yeah. <laughs> for you, um, 78, for me, um, you, you were, and a lot of these other guys, um, well, I guess it was a transition for Illawarra football, um, probably um, Wollongong City um, disbanded in a way and, and the club uh, finished up. There wasn't there was a bit of a gap there for mm-hmm. for a couple of years until Wollongong, Macedonia and Ferry Meadow um, then got back into the state league and then of course the Wolves um, in eighty one turning up in the NSL. But um, was that the main reason that you went back in seventy eight to join up with Bulloy? Um, yeah, I can't really remember how the how the club actually sort of folded, but I know as an age group um, we were playing like against players who are three or four years older than us. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just sort of went back to Bulleye. Um, not back to Bulleye, that was my first year at, at Bulleye in those uh, under-18s days, but I knew a lot of the players and that. Yep. So um, I think it was just easy for me just to go back there. Um, so I'm not sure what happened with the with the other players, whether they went out, out to, to Premier League sides or uh, and, and played 18s or... Grade, and and for you was it were you um, not really worried about it too much that you know below were in the uh, the Premier League um, so it was still a high standard of football um, and 18s would have been a high standard as well then uh, were you worried that oh, should I have stayed in representative football or um, well, I said um, maybe working working commitments uh, come into play a little bit there yeah. but. Um, yeah, I, th- I think just the fact I, I sort of went to Balls Paddock, back to where we played, yeah. you know, with Belkiani and and uh, just had a great atmosphere that ground, even with no people there, you know, it was just uh, <laughs> one of those grounds. And um, so, yeah, I went back there and had a year at uh, under-18s and um, I think by memory Max Max Shaw was the, yep. was, was the coach and um, I can't remember a lot, a lot of the players we had there, but um, we were a fairly competitive side. Um, and it was a, I think it was a fairly new comp in the, maybe in its f- second year, um, at that time the 18. So, yeah, the 18, uh, yeah. Uh, and what about Max Shaw? He's, he's known around the traps of, of yeah. people of that vintage. How no, was he, he as a coach? He, he was just uh, passionate about football. Um, yeah, his, his son Gary was a was a good player, um, and Max was quite successful with uh, the men's teams. And then he was sort of like the leader when the, the when the women's, women's teams. Yeah. Uh, kicked off, you know. Um, actually, that might have been around that time. Um, I think it was the Bulleye Thunderbirds. Yeah, because I remember on Sundays, the girls played on Sundays, so a lot of the boys in the under-18s and that we'd get together, we'd actually be able to drive into Balls Paddock what? and park <laughs> up on the hill. So we, And we'd watch the girls play, and obviously um, Julie Porter was one of the, one of the star player. players. And, um, you know, in that... That team that Max had, the girls, they, you know, they'd win 12, 14 nil. Julie'd score eight or nine goals, you know, <laughs> and um, because she, she was just that far ahead of everyone else. Because I think she actually like played in her brothers' teams and things like that. Yeah. Um, so she was sort of like a pioneer 
of the um, the, the girls' football. Yeah, dead right there. She was definitely a pioneer and and uh, a great player in the region. For you in 79, um, a 17-year-old turning 18, you, you then um, joined Coniston Soccer Club, who were being coached by Robert Fryer. Um, what brought about that move? I think I was, I was down, well, down at Bulleye Park, the junior ground, and we're having a kick around, and I don't know whether Bob was having a kick around with um, with mates down there yep. or how it come about, but he but he asked me um, would I would I would I like to come to to Coniston the next year, and then my memories of Bob was watching him play for Western Suburbs in the yeah. old NSL, and you know, and then he was you know he virtually told told me the story that you know um, there's some good experienced players I'm trying to get together and. Um, and so, yeah, and even though we were called the Silver Tails in those days because yeah. everyone thought we had money. And, <laughs> I mean, when we signed, um, I remember the, uh, one, of the, one of the people that was putting the money in says, come out and said, oh, you'll get a trip to Manila. You just win the comp, you get a trip to Manila at the end of the year. You know? <laughs> and I was only, like I said, I was only 16, 17, 17 sort of 17, 18 years of age sort of, <laughs> sort of thing. And... Um, but there was, yeah, there was some good players. Uh, Bob got a lot of... Um, he had a lot of connections. Yeah, he had a lot of connections. And being a car salesman, he could sell you anything sort of, <laughs> sort of thing. So. And for you, um, like you said, in that 79, you, you, you had a, a few, uh, three youth grade games and, and, and a couple of games off the bench and had some reserve grade, but then um, ended up uh, during the rest of the year uh, playing 13 first grade games and... And uh, scoring a couple of goals, and and in round five made made your first grade debut. So um, I guess it was a mixed bag of a year where you sort of progressed quite quickly from being a, a youth grade player to a, a first grader. Yeah, um, yeah. I I, st- I think I started in in youth grade, and uh, remember playing a few games. Um, I remember even uh, one situation down at. Um, we were playing against Oak Flats. I'd already played. I played full game in youth grade, a full game in, in reserve grade, and then I, <laughs> I come off the bench in first grade. And uh, I remember really cramping up, bad, badly, <laughs> driving home. And the old panorama oval that wasn't a wasn't a soft ground. It was a no. fairly fairly hard ground that was sort of made more for uh, for cricket. But um, yeah, it was just sort of getting. Uh, like I said, he, uh, Bob had a good range of um, players there. Was a strong player, so maybe I got an opportunity after a few injuries or suspensions, and yep. and that um, in that early year. Yeah, and, and and sort of in the next two years progressed again. Uh, in eighty, you uh, you started off in reserves and and then um, played uh, uh, twelve first grade games straight, um, and then sort of dropped off in in the latter part of that year in eighty. Um, but eighty one was it was probably. Um, your best year there at Coniston. Um, you were always roundabouts, but this year it was pretty much just you and Shell Harbour as yeah. the two top teams, and um, and that's how it ended up finishing. Um, I think they ended up winning the league that year, and and you guys uh, yeah. uh, won the grand final and were second in the league. So, what do you recall of of that year? The se- the semi final. We had a very good reserve grade side at Coniston, obviously because the first grade was strong. Um, we were very strong in reserve grade. And I was. I played the um, the last few rounds. I think I played um, uh, reserve grade. Yep. And um, I, I remember the the semi final. We we had for first grade were playing a semi final, 
against Shell Harbour down at Barrick Heights Oval, and um, I think we beat them. Um, but there was two two send-offs in that game. I think. Um, yeah, from what Jerry Walker had said, it was a, a pretty uh, heated exchange between yeah. both teams that day. Yeah, Michael Skeen um, played with us, David Skeen's older, older brother, and he got sent off in that game, and so did a player from Shalaba. His last name was John. But yeah, they both they both got sent off. I can't remember why, but um, that gave me the opportunity to come into first grade in the grand final, <laughs> um, and, and uh, which we, we won 1-0 courtesy of... a. I still picture Ronnie scoring the goal, actually, at Memorial Park. Yeah, what are your recollections of it? Because I've heard from Ron um, as the player, but you as, as an outfield player watching what, what's happened. Yeah, he sort of just he, he got put through. I don't know who put the ball through to him, um, but it ended up being a one-on-one with the goalkeeper, and he, he slotted away. So, um, yeah, there's plenty of celebrations um, after the game and back at, uh, back at Coniston Pub and, and that. So... Um, yeah, but like I said, we had we, we had some really good players in those days. That uh, Rob was um, Bobby could um, drag some players there, you know. Yeah, well, how was uh, Bobby as you as you name him um, as a coach? Because uh, over the years, and I'm hoping to interview him in the near future. But um, you see uh, pictures uh, of him, and he was a player coach. But he, he seems like he was, uh, you know, very outgoing. Yeah. Um, very much a sort of people person, and and like you said, he was a car salesman, so had sort of a personality to to sell. So he was obviously a, a good talker with the players. Yeah, his um, motivation, you know, he 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 was good. Like I said, he could um, he he got us playing, and really in a case of the players and the squad that we had, he didn't have to tinker with it too much, and yep. you know. Um, the, the guys did their job. He, he was a player coach, which made it a little bit harder at times. You know, coming off at half time, you had to make a speech and things weren't going well or whatever. Yeah. Um, but you know, that uh, we used to train down at Gladstone, Gladstone Oval. Yep. Um, but the early years, I think the first two years, we shared Memorial Park because um, uh, JJ, Kelly JJ Kelly was getting was, put together. Was getting built there. So the, f- the first couple of years, yeah, we spent at Memorial Park. But um, yeah, for me to go to to go to when I went to Coniston originally, it was just um, to play along some of these players that had played, you know, um, yeah, like Shay Gleason and Jerry Walker. And Brian Dodd was an excellent uh, striker, and um, you know, we had some couple of young guys, Phil Matthias and Anthony yeah. Anthony Warborn, yeah, um, Reg Chorby, Bobby Fagasso. Yeah, it was just. And there was some of the older Connor guys that were still there, like um, Ronnie Van Eed and uh, um, Ronnie Van Devord, uh, Hans Van Eed, and they were Winona boys, but they'd, they'd been playing with Connor. Come out and, there as well. Um, and, and Kenny Dixon, Lenny Phillips, and Mickey Talbot. And I really connected with those guys the first few years I was down there. You know, they just, we'd go back, even after training, we'd go back to Connor Pub and have a <laughs> couple of beers, and then um, if they felt like it, they'd venture to the tennis club. <laughs> until closing time, but um, yeah, it was good. Good days, sort of um, growing up. Because, like you said, there was a lot of guys there that sort of had um, 
federation experience. Um, even the likes of uh, uh, Fryer himself played at Western yep. Suburbs, and, and Jerry Walker had a handful of games yeah. up in Brisbane. Um, so there was a, a whole host of players. So you did learn quite a lot, yeah. just not from the coach, but from the other the players, people yeah. training with them and playing with them. Yeah, and, and playing and training with these players and that makes you makes you a better player too. Um, and there was a guy called Gareth Roberts from Nairos Bombardieri area, uh, played with Safeway as yep. a right fullback. He he played there at some stage. I even think Noddy played, you know, played at some stage with us. Uh, um, at, yeah. At yeah, I think he did uh, have a handful of games there. So for you, um, that period, did you ever contemplate... Um, I know you left um, in 84, you left Coniston, but um, was there ever a period there in those five seasons where you thought, you know, uh, I guess the Wolves were... <laughs> We're on the agenda in the NSL, and and you know you're a young man. Um, but did you still aspire to potentially playing with Wollongong Macedonia or Ferry Meadow potentially in the state league? Uh, no, not really with um, with Ferry Meadow or, or Wollongong United. I know a couple of mates that, that went there. Um, I actually sort of trialled with Wollong City. Yep. Um, I think Willie Wallace yeah. was the coach then. Because um, I remember we, we trained down the bottom of down the bottom of Willamby there near the beach, and I can't think of how old I was back in there. I would, probably would have um, maybe student late teens, maybe yep. twenty or something like that. Yep. But um, I'd got a job at um, um, Lysarts, or it's all Blue Scope now, yep. and I started working shift work, which. Um, Made when I was on afternoon shift, I couldn't train, and so I think that that was part of the problem. Um, why I sort of didn't didn't push it. Um, whether whether I would have been good enough to make it, I'm not sure. But um, yeah, I did life, go down for a few transitions. Yeah, and I sort of started this new job at uh, at um, Lysarts, and so that that took up a lot of time, and um, that's probably why I didn't, um, yeah. Continue Pursue on with it further. I think with uh, also with with, with Cono, um, like I'd been there for four four to five years, and uh, I, I think Bob was sort of. I don't know whether he left the same year I did, and he went to Arras. Yeah, took a couple of players with him, um, and then um, and then you thought it was time to sort of look elsewhere as well. Yeah, I sort of. Uh, I, I think I sort of just wanted to change. Um, I was actually. Um, before I saw my bullye, the year before, I can't think what year that would have been. Because eighty four is when you went to bullye, so yeah, yeah. it might have been eighty. It might have been eighty, eighty two. I was I was going to sign with um, Blamby. Okay. Um, Tony Dribbus was trying to organise for me to to sign Blamby in those days, and because um, at Coniston we were. We were on a match payments and signing on fees yep. and things like that back in those days. Um, they actually put a, Coniston put a figure on my head of nine hundred dollars. <laughs> wow, that's transfer. a lot of money. And back then. Um, and I was quite happy to go to Blamby, but I think um, because Blamby sort of never paid out for money uh, players and yep. and things like that, so it was sort of broke the club up a little bit on what to, what to do. So I said to Tony Dubis, I said, "Look, I don't want to cause waves." Yeah. I said, um, "You know, we'll just." Let it be. Let it be, and I'll go back to Coniston. So I went back to Coniston in '83 and, and played a year there. I can't even remember who was coach then, um, back then. But it, I, that was only to go back to reduce my transfer transfer fee. fee. 
which um, they reduced it down to 500, and I end up um, end up Norm funding and got me to go to go to Bulleye in um, in '84. So, so I still remember Roy Hancock's coming up to me <laughs> at the end of '85, and he said, "You're two years up. You're free to go, son." Um, you can go. <laughs> I said to Roy, I said, well, if you don't mind, I'll stay around for a little bit longer. So so was, a, was it a call for, from Norm Flanagan um, at the end of the 83 season to get you in at 84? How did you, uh, um, or did you sort of... I can't really remember, but um, it was probably, um, probably Norm did contact me. I'm, I'm not 100% sure um, on how it come about, but... Um, Maybe from the new, from the year before, trying to get away, um, they they knew I sort of wasn't happy at um, yeah. Coniston. It wasn't that I wasn't happy. There was a lot of, you know, in the early days at Coniston, there was a lot of fantastic people that actually like you know run the canoe and run them. You know, guys like yeah. Lex McLean and Marty and Mary Doyle and um, some of those from the old Cono days. You know, Cole Brown and um, Big Hearts. You know, and they. Uh, they just kept that place running. So, yeah, I had good times at Connor and um, so it was more than just the players and and yeah, and it was just more, more was or less the, a change. It was the club in itself. Yeah, and Bob was Bob was going to going to Arras, and um, I sort of didn't want to go there, and I sort of just wanted to change, I suppose. And and in that sort of first year, you ended up uh, you know playing a three uh, games in reserve grade with a couple of appearances off the bench in first and then and then you played 18 games in a row in first grade so was it a was it sort of that early on just proving yourself to norm or, or sort of working your way into I guess that first grade lineup yeah I think so the the team we sort of had um, like I was sort of playing middle midfield and um, we were pretty, pretty strong in the middle of the park you know and over, over the years um, that middle of the park got stronger and stronger but um yeah I, I i'm not sure i sort of um yeah well i had a good team um like i said norm got a, a good team together there it took me a few games maybe norm wanted to see what i was what i was like in well, certain positions off. or whatever yep. um I, I don't know but that 84 um obviously uh, Fernil smacked us in the grand final yeah i got married the week before um, the boys played Bolambi in, in the in the semi-final um, up at uh, Tarawana Oval, yep. and um, I got married that day. And then the grand final day, I was in Queensland on my honeymoon. So, <laughs> and also Warren Baker, Warren Baker was suspended. So I'm not sure whether he got yellow cards or got sent off against Bolambi or not. But he was suspended for the grand final too. And um, yeah, I remember phoning up. Uh, from Queensland, my honeymoon, phoning up and they said, oh, the, we got beat 5-1. I sort of couldn't believe it, you know. Fernal, um, yeah, Fernal were strong in those days, as was Victory and yeah. a few other clubs. Well, I think uh, when I did interview Jerry, he said um, from his memory, uh, that year in 84, the only team that really caused him trouble was Bulleye. Yeah. So he was sort of wary going into that grand final and, and now a bit more context about, you know, Baker being out, you been on your honeymoon um whether you two would have made a difference who knows but um it, it does put a put a bit more detail to it uh, before we talk about 85 and 86 were pretty uh stellar years for for bulleye um what about that fernhill team in 84 um they were pretty strong and you, you probably saw them in the league season um so what made them a strong team jerry had them jerry had them fairly well balanced from the from the back to the front 
I think Al Duncan was in in goals. I think he'd maybe just taken over from Justin Norris, which was yep. a great he was a great goalkeeper. And um, I must say, back in those Back in those days at Cornell, and that um, there was a lot of good goalkeepers going around. Yeah, you know, Graham Edwards, Charlie Edwards from Tarawana, yeah. and Kel Potter from Kel, Ferry Meadow, yeah. and uh, Jeff Robertson um, from Shalaba. And you know, we, we had Vasco in goals for us at, at Coniston. But um, there was a lot of good goalkeepers going going around in those days. But getting back to the to the Fernhill side, um, yeah, they they had a, a mixture of uh, some of the older guys like Keith Rosen, and I think. Um, yeah, they had a mixture of guys like Grant Isdale and yep. you know, Steve Quinn and um, Peter Thompson, Mark Simpson. They were all young guys in there, and there was a few experienced um, heads was, in there as yeah, well. Yeah, in there as well. So they were sort of a fairly well balanced side. I can't remember how the how the season sort of played out. It just uh, you know, they um, they just smacked us in the grand final. So <laughs> it was just one of those days, I think. For you. Um... 85 was a good year. Um, uh, you won the, the league championships um, with with blokes that you've spoken about before in terms of Baker and, and Lewis, but there was also uh, Hammersley, Quetcher, Gru, Kajar, uh, Van der Vaud, Mann, um, Bragg, Charnock. Um, uh, can you pick a, a couple of those uh, players out and, and sort of tell, us, tell the listener a bit about them? Um, uh, and and where they played and and what made them um, strong players. From then on, I was I was sort of playing sweeper back then. Yep. And um, we had um, Muskie Hemmersley. He was like a left fullback for us. He was strong, experienced. Um, but I think our strength was sort of like in the middle of the park. Also, I always call that the the engine room. Yep. That everything revolves around the middle of the park. And yeah, we had David Quetcher played on the left left side of the middle of the park, and he was sort of very underrated. Player, he was fantastic. Um, what what he did for us was what someone like Phil Brown did for Victory in a similar yep. similar position. Yeah, you know, and, and we had uh, Tony Charnock was probably one of the best one on one tacklers, like slide tackle. And R- Ronnie Van Eden in the middle of the park was hard as nails, and and Warren Baker, and and then up front we sort of had uh, over the years we had embarrassment of riches, you know, with. Ronnie Vandervoort and Steve Quirk and Michael Grew, Kevin Lewis, yeah. sort of rotating between them. And, and then if we needed to score a goal, we, we'd send Gary Mann up from centre-half and he was virtually unbeatable in the air. You know, A lot of games, we um, we got back into it late in, the, late in the games because we'd throw Manny forward and um, and he'd get the odd goal or you know, be a target man for us, you know. And uh, speaking to Ron Vandervoort, he, he did speak uh, highly of, of Norm in terms of um, key moments in games. Um, he knew when to sort of pull a different lever or or yeah. change things. So, would you agree with that comment? Yeah, I think um, yeah. As a coach, you sort of you want to make a change before before it happens. Yeah, yep. you can see it happening, <laughs> and you you sort of you you've got to take that take that responsibility back yourself and say, well, um, yeah, I, I need I need to change up. I need to change change the formation. Or yeah, like I said, a lot of times. Late in the games, if we were drawing or we were getting beat, we'd throw Manny forward and it'd be just directly, you know, <laughs> long ball straight to him sort of thing. But uh, yeah, Norm, Norm read the game well. He's um, he, he was a, he was a hard taskmaster. Yep. Yeah. Um, and he kept people on their toes all the time. He was sort of like you had to ring him every Saturday because he had the carpet shop in Wollongong, and <laughs> you'd have to ring him every Saturday morning to find out sort of what grade he keep people in the balance and. In, and um, <laughs> and that and also if you turned up tra- for tra- late for training you'd be 
if we trained, trained at the old um, showground, you had to run around the Trotton Track or <laughs> at, at Ferndale, you'd had to run to the Coromel Surf Club and back and <laughs> then you'd be trained with reserve grades sort of thing, you know. But uh, just talking about Norm, about a funny thing, um, I'm pretty sure it was at Fernhill, but um, we're in a half-time team talk yep. and um, he was getting quite serious in, in, in his uh, Irish, Irish tone and... and um, He's gone to turn the shower off because it must have been dripping and, and um, frustrating him a bit. So he's turned the shower on himself, <laughs> sort of broke up the whole dressing shed sort of thing, you know. But um, no, Norm was uh, Norm was good, and I suppose I had a good relationship with him too. That's why, um, you know, I sort of went and played at Fernhill eventually with him, you know. But um, yeah, and he sort of made me captain of the team and things like that. So um, you know. I had, responsibility out in the park and even if I wanted to change things out in the park and without his um, say-so, you know, uh, everything was fine. Fine. Yeah. Uh, that, that 85 season, um, and it was the first time Buller had won a league championship since 71, um, and at that point in 71 they were Buller workers. Um, was that talked about at the club? Um, I know 86 was a great year because you did the mm. double, but did you, did you... Was it sort of noticed there because... It, Bulleye had sort of, I guess, for a period of time, got stronger and stronger in those sort of late 70s and early yeah. 80s to get to this point. Yeah, well, I, I think with, 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 um, with success at a club, um, and this goes back to not, not paying money back in those days, you know. Yep. Players, players want to go to strong clubs where you're successful. You're playing in semi-finals, grand finals yeah. and things like that. So, yeah, yeah we, we attracted the, a few decent players over the years, but... Um, in saying that, from '84 onwards, through that good stretch that we had, um, we didn't change personnel too much. You know, it might have been the odd keeper or the odd defender. Uh, um, most of the guys sort of stuck together, and um, I can't remember too much about. Yes, we won the won the league, but um, the impact it had on the club, I, I, I don't know. Um, yep. Maybe they were expecting after '84 going so close. Yeah. Um, because it, we actually were very strong in the whole three grades in those early years at Bulleye. So I remember playing, you know, grand finals at Memorial Park. That was just fantastic. Yeah. Um, you know, you had, to, you had your victory supporters would be over on the hill there and Bulleye would be up behind the goals and then you'd have another section <laughs> elsewhere. And the atmosphere there at Memorial Park was fantastic. 85 um, uh, semi-final series, um, you just couldn't... Um uh, win the grand final that year. Do you recall much from that final series? Got beat one 0 by Aris. No, I can't remember much much about that um, in '85. Um, I know Aris had a fairly strong lineup. Like, yep. like I said, Bob went there, and you know those guys out there like Ian Bradburn, experienced player, and Stephen Quirk, and um, yeah, they had a, a, a definitely a, a very strong team, didn't they? Yeah, uh, there was um, Billy Cottenham-Itis. He was a good player. Mark Finton, uh, Theo. In goals, Claude Cuter and Manuel Devo was another good goalkeeper there. John Gooding, um, they were very strong in those. Uh, like Bobby gets them, you know, he gets players up, and same as Norm. You know, they're they're more more or less a, set, a Saturday coach, you know. Yeah. You get uh, you get them well prepared and um, motivation and things like that. So. Was was it a bit disappointing? Although for me, um, and I've stated that publicly, and people are probably tired of hearing it, but I'm a, more of a league championship person. That that's the main aim. But obviously, you you're there and you take pride in um, 
as a team and as a club that you want to win. Was yeah. it disappointing to sort of lose those two in a row then? Was that even yeah. though you weren't there the year before because of a honeymoon? Yeah, in yeah. 1984, yeah. Um, yeah, it probably was disappointing because um, most most teams get remembered for winning the grand final yeah. instead of the league, you know. Um, and, and there's sort of more atmosphere around, I suppose. yeah. So yeah, it was probably disappointing um, losing those th- those two grand finals. Eighty six rolled rolled around and yeah, you just did the double that year, and the team was highly successful. Obviously, yeah. winning the grand final, but went undefeated through the season, which um, it must be some sort of record. Um, it doesn't happen very often no. where a quality of a, a league like the IPL, you you go through undefeated and win the league. Yeah, I I, I don't think anyone's done it since. Yeah, I don't. Um, I know in the early years, I, I sort of. Was watching teams who go come close, something, and hope you get beat or, or whatever, you know. But um, yeah, that uh, that was a that was a successful year. Yeah, I, I don't know. We, we just sort of like the players had played together for a few years, and we had, like I said, we had a couple of players come in and a couple of players go out, sort of thing, you know. Yeah, that was that was a fantastic year. And and you had a, a broken leg in in that year. Yeah. Also, we um, we played out of Blamby's ground. Because I think we're in between leaving the showground yeah. and the new ground being new Balls Paddock, yeah, Balls Paddock. So I think for two years or so we we played out at Blamby. I was well documented on what happened with the with the tackle and yeah, I didn't um, want to get into that. It was more just it must have been disappointing to sort of yeah, well that that's miss uh, games. Yeah, it was, um, and I and I missed the grand final, hmm. and um, I didn't actually know my leg was broken because it happened late in the game, and I just thought, oh yeah, it's a I've, I've hit it, the, the, the small bone in the back of me, yep. uh, runs down the back of my leg there. and um, um, So I've got tackled and, like I said, there was about five minutes to go. We'd, uh, we'd actually wrapped up the minor premiership with three games yeah. three games to go. <laughs> um, we'd had the minor premiership wrapped up. So I didn't know my leg was broken. It was only five minutes to go and I sort of went in the, went in the shared shower and whatever and then we went up to, to Winnipeg uh, RSL um, which was our sponsors in those days, and we went up there and we're having drinks, and um, you know I was up there chatting away, and I had to go to work the next day because being a shift worker and yep. that, um, I had to go the next day to work. I come home from work and I said to my wife, I said, I said my my ankle feels really back of my leg feels really it just feels like it's broken up and there's all bits and pieces sort of <laughs> like there, you know, and so I said. I'm going to go to the, see the doctor on Monday, and um, so yeah, went and seen the doctor, and they had done X-rays, and I was in plaster for four weeks. So you actually went to work. I went to work the next day, wow. yeah, um, because I, I I just sort of yeah I had injuries over the time, and I sort of um, I can usually take a manage it in the in the pain section, you know, but um, yeah, I, I sort of didn't know what was wrong. I just remembered going up having a couple of beers. Went to work the next day, and then all I said, I said to the wife, "I'm better go to the doctor." So, yeah. So I remember being in plaster for four um, for four weeks or so, and um, I got the plaster. I remember going down to train and thinking, if I get the plaster off, I might be able to play, you know. <laughs> but because I, I'd sort of been on crutches, and then the, the leg had faded away and yeah. everything like that. But um, but Norm was good. Um, uh, he put me on the team sheet and. Because I had the plaster off before the grand final, yep. and he put me on the team sheet, and then I just I just sat on the sideline and 
um, yeah, it's a disappointing way to finish that season. But still, to be a part of it and probably speaks a lot about Norm. Some coaches yeah. might not have done that. Some no, are, right. are very hard-nosed and, and would go, no, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm not putting you on the team sheet. Yeah. 87, uh, um, uh, Bulleye was second that year and, and against uh, a strong South Coast Croatia team. Since you, you were at Bulleye, you were a high-achieving club and you are a big part of that. So uh, you must have been pretty happy that the time that you were spending there and that it was the right move after Coniston. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I had, had some uh, good years there and good people and, um, yeah, they were passionate about um, about the club, a lot of hard workers there. That year, South Coast Croatia, you've spoken a bit about your teammates, but, you know, they had some great players like Greathead, Botticelli, Coelho, Joe, um, Gill, Mondello. Um, yeah. What do you recall Skandar. of that team? Because yeah. they were... You know, to to get past you guys um, yeah. after the year before, they must have uh, been playing a, a good brand of football. Yeah, they, they were. They, they they were a good football inside, and they probably had two of the best strikers going around, like in partnership with Max and, and Joey <laughs> up front. And they don't know how many goals they would have scored before, between them, but yeah, um, Max worked hard, and Joey just he could have been anything. Joey Quillo um, as goal scoring. Yeah, um, he he was fantastic, and yeah, they were they were very strong in those days, and um, and were cooking goals, and yeah, big Skender at the back, they they were, they, were, they were solid, and as far as the two, the two strikers go, they were probably two of the best strikers going around in that area, like yeah, you know, at, at, at Figgy, Darren Nees, and Donny Martinoski, and and like at uh, at Bulleye we had you know Gruy and um, Kev Lewis, and yeah. and those sort of guys, Van der Voorden, Quirk and but um, yeah, you you always need those goal goal scorers are going to score the half chance and yeah, South Coast Croatia they they were up there, they they had a good solid all all over the park. So it wasn't too bad in terms of uh, you know being behind them in the league then. Yeah, yeah, that yeah that was strong. Uh, at the end of that eighty seven and then eighty eight, there was that transition between Norm leaving. Yeah. And, and Johnny through um, coming through, um, not that I want to stir any um, sort of uh, bad blood, but it wasn't a, a great transition no, um, for no. the club. And, and was it hard being a player and sort of in the middle of it? Because I guess for four years, from your perspective as a player, you're amongst great committee people, um, very good coach, and, and yeah. as a playing group, you're doing wonderfully well. So was it a bit of a surprise for you to sort of hear what was going on? Yeah, I think um, uh, I was surprised that with you know, the, the, outcome, the outcome of it. There was a, a certain section of the board that, that uh, wanted a change. Um, yep. Obviously, they probably looked at Norm being there for uh, four or five years and thought they needed to change. But, and then I thought, well, Norm, Norm probably thought that he didn't have to reapply. I think they sort of wanted him to reapply for the job and, and that and I, I I think with, with his record and the yeah. success that he brought the club He didn't feel that, that was Yeah and in a in right. a way I don't I don't think he should have had to justify um yep. um being another year and that sort of dragged on into the into the early next year, you know, sort of into into the pre season. I think it was a bit of a standoffish and and that and then uh yeah, Norm um Norm stood down, and then uh, John Frew got the job, and um, yeah, I, I was I was disappointed mainly for for Norman, yeah. what he achieved at the club, and I thought he could have left on his terms, sort of thing, you know. Um, but that's, that's that's the way it happened, and um, yeah, 
we just, as players, we sort of had to get on with it. Well, you had a break at the end of 87, 80, I guess. 87. Um, at the Ampole Cup. So yes. um, you sort of had a bit of recovery time, I guess, um, before coming into that 88 season. Yeah. So um, was that a bit easier in the sense that you were convalescing and recuperating on, on another broken leg and not really focused on getting yeah, back onto the pitch I'm, too much? I think... Um, well, that, that day that was, uh, I broke the main bone and um, playing over there against Croatia Deacon, and it was like a top four series, top four from here versus top four from um, from Canberra yeah. and around Robin sort of thing, you know, home and away. Um, yeah, I sort of broke my leg over there and um, I actually got transported home in, in Norm's car and because of all the... Um, I had that much swelling around it and it was a long weekend... Um, they uh, they only just like put a half plaster okay. on because of the swelling and that, and I didn't um, didn't get a full plaster on until a few days few days later, um, and I was virtually uh, twelve weeks in plaster. Um, so yeah, had had a lot of time off, a lot of time off there, a lot of time off work, and um, and uh, a lot of lot of time away from football. So yeah, didn't. Um, Sort of get into what was uh, what was happening Happen. there. Yeah. And did you think at that point that maybe second broken leg within as many years there that I might give it up? Uh, you obviously had family and work commitments. Did you yeah. contemplate retiring at that point? Um, no, I didn't really. <laughs> I, I, I just I, I love the game and um, yeah, it was it was a it, it was a setback. Um, but I, at the, at that stage, I didn't. Um, because I still might have been late twenties, maybe thirty. I'm not sure, but um, yeah, yeah still still had a hunger for for playing and and that and and probably being yeah at a successful club too. So, like you said there in '88, that you um, you had a lot of uh, time off and came back into reserve grade, um, a team that eventually won the league under John Frew, and and you you came off the bench in first grade. Um, it must have been good to get back on the field, but um, and and good that Bulleye had won the league. But um, must have been a, a sort of hard transition for you to sort of come back, I guess, into reserve grade and and see the guys do so well. Yeah, the thing was that, that sort of it didn't sit too well for me because I'd played that many years there and played first grade and 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 things like that. Um, because they're starting up the the new ground, and yep. then they had photos, and um, for me to have me photo with the reserve, no disrespect for no. reserve grade, but uh, I would like to have my photo that's up on the wall of service. Yeah, um, in the first grade squad, and um, I don't know whether it was just something that um, John and I didn't see eye to eye, or whether um, in '88 how we started that. Um, yeah, maybe I just come off the bench in first grade because first grade would maybe going going well. Yeah. Um, and then I, yeah, in those those games I played in reserve grade, that would have been a strong reserve grade yeah. side anyway. And like you said, uh, West Victory won the the grand final that year against Bulleye. Um, you recall being on the bench and um, uh, yeah. not getting on. So um, were you then? When you look back, even at that moment, and then maybe after the season had finished, you were sort of contemplating well. Where should I be next year? Yeah, I was sort of. I'm probably disappointed I didn't get a run at some stage because I know. Um, I think we ended up getting beat two nil, and um, we're sort of behind. 
like most of the, most of the game. So I thought Miss, myself and, and James Hobbs, which another person that was on the bench with us, yep. um, um, quite experienced, and you know he he was a defender and I was either defender or midfield. But um, yeah, probably sitting there all game and not getting a run didn't. Uh, didn't sit too well. And next year in 89, you did start the year with Bulleye and, and, and played a few games there. So, um, like you said, you obviously did um, the right thing by the club and, and thought you'd start the next year off. But um, after a, a few games in first grade, um, you then left. Um, what brought about that change from you then moving after a few games to, to Fernhill with Norm? Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a funny season that, that year because... Um, of the wet conditions, yeah, there's a lot of rain, and um, I thought, I thought they'd actually cancelled uh, half of reserve grades. Yeah. Uh, entire season. Yeah, they did. Yeah, because um, because it was that wet and we weren't um, we weren't getting the games. Because so, I actually remember what happened is um, in '89 is I was selected in first grade, the game was washed out. Yep. And then the following week, I wasn't selected in first grade. Um, so I don't want to go into the no, no, details. No, 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 nor do I want to go details, into those details. Um, why and, and what come about. But, um, yeah, I just thought, well, maybe my time's up here. And, you know, I, I was 30 years of age, maybe, you know, uh, and John, John had brought um, some good young kids to the club and... Uh, that might have been the direction he wanted to go with, uh, yep. with the young kids coming through. So um, he then made the move to to Fernhill under Norm. So obviously it was pretty seamless in the sense that you could move to a club where a coach knew what you could do, and and Fernhill at that time were was still a very strong club. Yeah, well, going back to the going back to the wet weather that um, that knocked half of the reserve grade out. Um, Bull, I was supposed to play um, fig tree. At Fig Tree, and I was I was playing reserve grade, and obviously reserve grade got called off. Yep. And um, and Phil Carr, Phil Carr came up because it was at Harry Graham Park. Yep. Phil Carr came up to me and said, "Look, sir, do you want to? Um, I want you to come to Fig Tree." Okay. You know? He said, "Look, I can get, I can get you signed up today," which was <laughs> typical Carry, you know, like joking around. And um, I, I just sort of left it there, and I said, "Yeah, I'll, I'll consider it." You know, yep. I knew I wasn't happy at Bull Iron, um, and Victory was a strong, strong club. So I sort of uh, I went home and sort of thought about it for a while, and I thought, "Well, um, I, I live in Taraji. I'm only two streets away from Ray Robertson Oval. Yep. To play under Norm again um, sort of outweighed going to Victory, sort yeah. of thing, you know." Um, no disrespect to Victory because they were a very handy team in those yeah, days and, and well coached and, and everything. It was just the locality of um, being close to training and, and playing under Norm again. So, yeah, so I made the decision to um, to go to Fernhill. And, and what about Fernhill in 1990, the year after? You know, you had sort of, like I said, that interrupted year with rain and Bulleye and then Fernhill and then being back under Norm. Um, in 1990, um, you know, you... There was 26 league games in a season that year and, and with semi-finals and the like, you played 30 games. Um, you obviously did well and and the club did well and, and you unfortunately lost the grand final to, to West Fig Tree. Um, uh, what do you recall of, of that next year? Um, yeah, well, 
well, going to Fernell, going to Fernell was an easy transition for me. Like with with uh, Norman, uh, Dave Mollison was his um, assistant, assistant reserve grade coach there at. Uh, and come with him at Fern to Fernhill, and um, yeah, Fernhill had some good good players, and we sort of wasn't too hard to fit in there, you know. You know, guys like Quino and, and Green Eyesdale and Prooksy and um, you know Spider and Goals, and um, it was quite easy to. And we had some um, over the years, we had some ex Bullo players there: yeah. Ronnie Vanderford, Michael Grew, Chris Gurdon, yeah. myself. You know, uh, mixed in with the, with that Fernhill okay. side, so. Yeah, we were, we were very competitive that year, and um, to lose the grand final to victory, and um, and Brownie certainly let me know after the <laughs> after the game um, that, that I should have come should have come went to victory instead of Fernhill <laughs> because they beat us one nil. And and what about Fernhill as a club? Um, you talked about some of those guys. Um, you'd obviously played against them when they were strong in that sort of eighty four season and even eighty five. Um, was it, you know, pretty, pretty good bunch of blokes and, and good committee people as well? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was one of those clubs similar to Bulleye when I first went to Bulleye. It was a club you sort of, you, you didn't want to leave, you know. Yep. And like I said, when we went, um, a few of us went to, went to Fernhill. We fitted in really well with the guys there. A lot of characters, uh, which you need in every every club. You know, guys like Spider and and Quino was, you know, he he really built his life on uh, on gags and. <laughs> and funny things, and um, it, it sort of brought everyone together, and, and it helps being, you know, successful, you know. And uh, like I said, you know, Peter Thompson, Quino, and Drago, and um, you know, Cole Blakely was an unsung hero in the middle of the park, and just run all day, and <laughs> um, you know, and Spider was a character, you know, like he'd come off the park, and Spider he'd start rattling off results from the NRL or something like that, and guys <laughs> would be believing him, even though he's been at goals for the last hour and a half, <laughs> sort of thing, you know. But um, yeah, they, they were a hard-working committee, and um, and they and they still are. Yeah. And like a, a lot of those players, they they stayed there. They stayed there for year, many years, and then progressed into the into the Emmenders for for Fernhill, you know. Um, so yeah, they they were a good club. Um, and and '91, unfortunately, uh, for the third time, you you broke your leg again. Um, was it a pretty uh, simple decision at that point to say? Um, did you uh, you make it yourself straight away, or did you think? Um, did you talk to the wife and say, "Well, look, three breaks. I've, I've got to call it quits at the moment." Yeah, well, that happened. Um, that happened. And we we're playing against um, against uh, Serbia down at uh, Fernhill, and and um, sort of I, I sort of I heard the noise, and I just thought they they carried me into the into the shed, and I'm sort of laying on the stretch. I'm just hoping it wasn't yeah. wasn't a break because I've gone I've gone through my old break that I broke a few years earlier, the main bone down the yeah. shin was actually either on the same break or close to it. So um yeah, mainly the probably the, the disappointing thing about that was was um well actually I went to hospital, I didn't I was sort of saying, look, saying to myself, oh it's not broke it's not broken yeah. and they'd come in, take X rays and then they'd say, you know, you want some painkillers and Oh no, no, I'm right. Your leg's broken. You've got to be in pain, sort of, <laughs> sort of thing, you know. And, um, so, so that was disappointing. And the, probably the main thing I, why I sort of made me decision was, um, I had insurance to cover me for. Yep. And then by the time I broke my leg the second time, I didn't read the fine print, and, and it said I was an injury risk, 
and they weren't going to. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, uh, they weren't going to um, pay Cover. up. Yeah, so I was um, because I'd broken my leg before. They said, "Oh, you're twelve weeks in plaster again," um, but I, I convinced them to let me out after nine, so I could get around a bit. And um, so then, yeah, so just thought, well, I can't afford to have too much more time yeah. off work and. You know, 12 weeks at a time and things like that. So, um, yeah, the decision was um, to um, to stop playing. Well, it is here where we finish part one of episode 52. Once again, I'd like to sincerely thank Ian for the time he spent conversing with me on a Sunday afternoon. Please download part two of episode 52 as Ian continues to speak about his football journey. As always, thank you for listening and downloading this podcast. I'm your host, Travis. Goodbye for now.